everybody. Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie. Or should I say, welcome into the garden. No, perhaps not. All of you wouldn't fit into my garden because it's just too small. My name is Leslie Harris and I love to talk about gardening. This episode is sponsored by Color Blends Bulbs, a third generation bulb company offering top size flower bulbs directly to ambitious residential gardeners and landscape professionals at wholesale prices. It is a wonderful company and they are running out of inventory. So you might want to get on that. Colorblends.com. This is my first year in my gardening life that I have not ordered any bulbs. I mean, I just landed in this new garden and I have no idea what's going to come up. So it would be really silly to order bulbs, right? Well, dot, dot, dot. And I did not make it because I just cut away from writing the script to order 100 thalia daffodils and 100 purple tulips called Yume no Murasaki. You may know Morasaki. They didn't have very many tulips left. They, there wasn't a very good harvest this year and uh, mostly were red and orange and yellow. Not my cup of tea, but you may, you may know more about the you may know Morasaki than I do because I've never grown it, but it had that flare thing going on. It's medium to late blooming. And then the thalia, the one of my favorite daffodils is mid season. So there's going to be some overlap. And I think the perfect place to combine these two would be the top of my five foot retaining wall so that when the foliage starts to look tatty, I just sort of hide it behind the top edge of that wall. My daughter bet that I couldn't get through the season without ordering anything. And Tyler, you won. Our plant of the week is a spiny, scary thing. And this being the episode that drops closest to Halloween, that's kind of appropriate. I'll be chatting with Tiffany Garner of Quick and Dirty Gardens. And the playlist is about what to do, how to play in your garden right now. And this time I actually do have a recommendation for something to listen to also. I don't know if you've been following me on Instagram. I'm Leslie Harris LH there, but I'm actually creating a garden at my new little spot. And part of creating this garden is lugging so far 960 pounds of marble up what amounts to a flight of stairs, just one, but instead it's a hill. The good news is that I can use my hand truck because it's a hill. The bad news is that it's a very steep little hill. So picture the grandmother pulling on a 60-pound weight. I can do two 30-pound bags of marble at a time. One hand holding on for dear life to the handle of the dolly, which is below my feet, and the other hand reaching up the hill and like touching it because it's that steep in a desperate attempt at continued upward mobility definitely not the social type of upward mobility, with my feet sort of touching each other sideways a few inches at a time up the hill. It's a sort of uncomfortably angled cross-country skiing sidestep sort of affair. And it's not pretty. I'm sure it's not pretty. But my iPhone watch is very proud of me. That's a lot of physical exertion and it's all being recorded. Between the back of the house and a five-foot retaining wall made out of concrete is the place that I've named the Bowling Alley Garden. It's only about six to 10 feet wide, depending on where you are. And that's where all the marble is going. So I'm creating an undulating white path surrounded by varying sizes and textures of plants with a good collection of containers and ornamental concrete tchotchkes thrown in. I'm winging it as usual. That's always been the way I garden. And when I actually had to incorporate forethought and drawn out plans as a professional garden designer, a vocation which I happily jettisoned a couple of years ago, well, I sort of thought that took away from most of the creativity and potential for disaster, both of which add to the excitement. 
The excitement in this case, besides incorporating the real possibility that I become a victim of sudden onset sciatic disc herniation, is that I'm changing my garden and I'm not applying for permission to do so. How could I be so bold or stupid, you might ask? Well, for one, it would be very surprising and quite welcoming if anybody who lives in the HOA actually listens to this podcast or follows me on Instagram. So I don't think I'm spilling any beans here. My husband certainly wouldn't be listening. He hears enough of me without purposefully downloading a podcast for God's sake. My rationale is that the rules of the HOA were made so that no one's sensibilities could be affronted by a neighbor's questionable taste. I'm pretty sure that's the bottom line on all of this. I mean, all rules are usually made because something has gone poorly, like people's sensibilities being affronted. Another example would be a sign forbidding people to stand at the edge of a cliff. Oh, oops, that didn't go well. Perhaps we need signage here. You know, that's why these things are done. Well, in this garden, no one, and I mean absolutely no one, can see it except for me. Even Jeff would have to stand up and walk to the windows and peer out, which he hasn't been doing much of so far. It's the invisible garden, so I'm feeling quite safe in imposing my sensibilities on it without hurting anybody else's. The hackneyed line of asking for forgiveness instead of permission, I don't even think that applies here because I don't think anybody's ever going to see what I'm doing so that I will never have to ask forgiveness. Still, let's keep it under our hats, shall we? The plant of the week is the Pyracantha cocinea, also called firethorn. This is a thorny shrub, evergreen, native to Europe and Southwest Asia. It can be invasive, but according to the map on the Missouri Botanical Database, it's not widely invasive. And for the most part, the invasive areas are in the deep south. This plant is an adaptive pollinator, getting lots of attention from bees on the flowers, white flowers in spring, and then lots of bird action in the fall and winter on the berries. So there could be worse plants that reside in the ignominious category of alien invasive. My first exposure to this plant was painful. I'm just kidding. I don't think I actually fell into it. But at the house that we lived in for a couple of years in the late 80s, There were specimens planted on either side of and extremely close to the back kitchen door. Now, at this time of my life, I was mostly an at-home mom because our daughter had just been born. Our son was a not very graceful two-year-old, and I can't tell you that I didn't picture him toppling off the stoop and into that sucker more than once, although I don't think it ever actually happened. Was this the right plant in the wrong place or maybe the wrong plant in the wrong place? Back in those days, I didn't know very many plants, but that one, the pyracantha, it's memorable. So it lodged into the hard drive pretty fast. If you describe it quickly, what you'll come up with could conjure up like a Native American holly, the Ilex opaca. Both have shiny green leaves, although the pyracantha's leaves are narrow. Both have red or yellow berries, depending on the cultivar that the birds like. Both have sharp bits. Now, the American Holly's weapons are of the type that make you say, hey, I'm going to put on long sleeves before I prune this bush, or uh, I think I'll go put on my flip-flops while I'm wandering around the base of this thing. Holly prickers induce discomfort. They generally don't draw a lot of blood. Pyracantha thorns, on the other hand, are extravagant in their capacity for violence. You might be wondering why I chose this particular plant as my first plant of the week, well, episode, since I only do it every other week after a long hiatus of the section of the podcast. Well, it's because I want to highlight some of the plants that I inherited in my new garden. And sure enough, the previous owner, for reasons clear only to himself, was a fan of Firethorn. 
The first one that I noticed was a variegated specimen that, that my friend Marianne Wilburn identified on Instagram. And I think the name of that cultivar is Harlequin. It's pleasant, actually, except for the thorns, but they're not nearly as aggressively lengthy as those on the species Cochinea. Our Harlequin grows just an arm's length from the barbecue grill, but it's been trained as an espalier against a brown fence, which shows off its cream and green and a touch of pink variegation to advantage. It's good looking. By the time I started clipping on it, it had gotten fairly misshapen, but I've reined it in. And at this stage, I'm thinking it stays. I like it. I'm also a sucker for variegation and the thorns just aren't that long. Plus they're soft-ish. Then I found another one, the normal cochinea type up on the hillside. And just for you, dear listener, I clambered up the five foot wall and examined it in detail. Well, actually that was hard because the hillside is a mass of beauty berries and other things. So I examined it the best I could. I removed one of the very hard, not forgiving thorns and I brought it back into the house to measure. I just chose the first one I could grab, and I don't think this is any sort of champion thorn, but we're talking one and three quarters inch of hard, pointy wood. Now, why would anybody grow this thing? Well, next to your back door anyway. I cannot explain putting a pyrocantha cochinea anywhere near a residential entrance unless your aversion to delivery people and any relatives or potential friends is strong, but this plant could provide a botanical deer fence. Even a deer would be smart enough to avoid a plant that would make it appear as if they've engaged in a knife fight, and they don't seem to like eating the foliage either. So they have that going for them. I mean, the pyracanthos, not the deer. I usually finish up this section of the podcast by rather cheesily saying the chosen plant's name and then the phrase, give it a grow. In this case, let me amend, pyracantha cochinea, or the firethorn. Give it a wide berth. And now, on to my conversation with Tiffany Garner of Quick and Dirty Gardens. Okay, so now we are back to the really good part of Into the Garden with Leslie because we have an interview with an expert gardener named Tiffany Garner. And if you don't follow her on Instagram, you should, and TikTok too. And it's Quick and Dirty Gardens, and she first got my attention because she would do like a reel and she'd show her cute face and look really conspiratorial. Like I'm going to show you something really good in the garden and talk really fast. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing great, Leslie. It's great to be here. Good. Well, thank you for coming to chat. Now, what made you get started with, uh, with that tone and those fun tidbits that you gave us quick and dirty gardens. How'd you get going on that? You know, I, I'm not sure. I think, um, I like to be instantly excited about a video. If I'm scrolling on the internet, I'm kind of there for like a quick fix of something fun. Uh, I don't like a lot of babble uh, in the beginning. And so I really just wanted to be like, hey, here's my point. This is a quick garden tip and I'm just going to get right to it. <laughs> well, you got my attention. I'm like, ooh, what's she going to say next? This looks like I got to listen. <laughs> perfect perfect yeah just what you were going for tiffany's out in portland and tell us about your background how long have you been gardening you have a gardening business tell us give us the whole scoop well gosh uh it all started because i was super lucky to grow up just a, a block away from my great grandma oh. and um, i had a single mom and so their great grandma was my babysitter before and after school that's where i hung out and she and her sister, my great-great-aunt Magdalene, lived together, and they gardened together. 
And they had, you know, like the peonies and the peas and the forsythia and the carrots. Like it was all just kind of together and mixed in there. Um, and then there was the ongoing argument of, well, uh, dandelions are flowers too, and they're good for the pollinators. So we keep them in the backyard, but we have to get rid of them in the front yard, of course, or the neighborhood. This was them being that conscious of not just aesthetics, but like feeding pollinators back in, yeah. I mean, it's not like you're very old, but they would have started gardening decades ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they would take their little compost pile and just bury it in the garden. They weren't, you know, like total uh, quote unquote hippies or anything, but they were just, that's how they were raised. Uh, my aunt Magdalene was born in 1899. Wow. Um, great grandma was born in like 1907, something like that. They were seasoned gardeners for sure. <laughs> that's so cool. I remember moving into my first real house and this is where I started gardening. And it was just a matter of like, what is this plant? I will dig it up. I think I read something about it becoming two plants. I will stick my shovel through it. You know, I was at that stage. I, I knew nothing. And there was no internet. I would just go to the library. But there was this magical little lady. She was from Germany and she lived next door. And she said, you do not need to take the leaves. You just, and she, and she would just shovel soil from the garden on top of leaves. I'm like, whoa, that's mind blowing. I mean, these people, they are smart, these older people. So Magdalene, great name. What was your, what was your great grandmother's name? Uh, Mary Lorraine. Oh, cute, but not quite as good as Magdalene. It's just, just right, right. You know, <laughs> imperial sounding. Um, all right. So, so tell me more. So you, it stuck with you for years or did you have that teenager? I don't want to do this sort of thing or how did that go? Yeah, you know, it was just something I did and something I thought that was natural that, sure, you know, every kid rakes the leaves or every kid pulls the weeds. It was just something I did. Off to college I went. I was uh, seeking fame and fortune. Um, <laughs> In the horticulture world. Good luck. Oh, no, no, no. Hadn't crossed my mind yet. I was uh, a, a, a singer, actor, dancer, triple threat. Oh, Look out. <laughs> now that makes sense because of your presence on Instagram. I get it. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, I had just done like little theater, local commercials. I went to college at Eastern Washington University and instantly kind of was like, I don't, why am I here? You know, you just graduate from high school, you go to college. Why am I here? I moved to Florida for a year just to shake it up and was like, why am I here? Uh, <laughs> came back to the Pacific Northwest, Washington. Um, skipped to a few years later, I moved to the big city of Portland and I moved into a little fourplex that had a side yard. And I was just like instantly like hands in the dirt in there and quickly realized that none of my friends had any idea about plants they couldn't tell a weed from a from a vegetable you know from a perennial nothing and i thought oh man i i know some stuff here and i really like doing this i was at a nursery one day and i said how'd you get your job and she said i went to horticulture school and i said what you can go to school for that and off i went nice <laughs> um, to clackamas community college and i got my degree in horticulture and i never looked back <laughs> wow from there did you, you know, with a horticulture degree, you can, you can do all kinds of things, but you went right back to work in a nursery or did you do other things in between? 
I did kind of skip around a little bit because there are so many facets to being in, in the horticulture field. And so um, I did my internship at the beautiful Oregon Gardens. Oh, nice. um, and then I worked there for a couple of years, but that was very, very early on before the hotel bought them out and they had, they didn't have the funds. And so they basically had to fire like all but like four of the garden staff oh. for all the acreage they had there. So that was a bummer. And then I dinked around at little nurseries here and there. And then I got my foot in at a bigger nursery in town and worked there for like eight years. And that was just a massive amount of learning. Yeah. That's my favorite part about this field is just every day I'm learning something new. It's a customer bringing in, what's wrong with my plant? Here's a twig. Here's a bug. Here's a, why is this dead? And I'm like, let's figure it out. And uh, yeah, boy, I just learned a lot from that. Uh, and then now I just run, um, I really like doing a little garden maintenance for people who have already established yards. Um, so I do that, but I really would like to get back more into coaching and consultation because I really like spreading the joy of, of gardening. Yeah, that's what you're doing with your social media. And when did, yeah. when did that start? Uh, you know, that started at the nursery. I used to teach a raised bed vegetable gardening class once a month. And um, the very first class I had, I was just talking about little six packs of veggie starts and some four inch pots of veggie starts. And uh I I was just talking about planting and I had the six pack in my hand and I flipped it upside down to to take the, the plants out of the cells. And one of the students went, oh, that's how you get the plants out. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, oh man, even like the tiniest stuff is something new and exciting to a, to a novice gardener. And it just fueled me. I was just like, oh, I want to teach everybody how to garden. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's what we love and we want to spread the joy. That's very cool. And so yeah. with your, with your business, about how many clients do you have? I'm just curious because I had that business that I let go a couple of years ago, but it's interesting. Yeah, I have. So I have uh, five regular clients who luckily I just one day, each day a week, I have somebody's garden that I go to. And then I have probably another five to 10 um, that are just like, Hey, can you come by and fix me up for a party. Uh, can you swing by a tree fell over, you know, something like that. I need help with something. But um, so just a, just a nice little, like maybe, maybe like 15 to 20 max clients is what I like to. Oh, that's with. very manageable. Cause you don't have a crew. It's just you. Yeah, just me. Yep. Just me and my one back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you must be careful of that. Well, so let's talk, let's talk about all the facets of gardening that could be and the things that I see on you know your Instagram account and I know you do a lot of TikTok too. Are you anywhere else on social besides those two? Uh, nope, just pretty much the the Instagram and, and TikTok. I really have created um, a really fun following on Instagram of like real people who ask real fun garden questions. So um, I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's nice to have the interaction. But it's not just flowers. It's not just veg. You do some foraging. Yesterday's post was on something that I didn't understand. It was something about a lion and it was fuzzy and white. <laughs> Could you please explain that to me? <laughs> Absolutely. So my second passion over the last about eight, eight years or so has become foraging for mushrooms. Okay. And it started with just walking in Forest Park, this gorgeous, huge, many acreage forested park here in Portland. And I just started going there on my days off and, and looking at mushrooms and then quickly became obsessed. Uh, so now I'm even growing them in my home. And that was a lion's mane mushroom, 
It looked like a lion's mane, sort of. Yep, aptly named. Uh, Hericium is the botanical, and it was growing on a, a, a grow block. Um, so some mushrooms, we have figured out how to cultivate them. Not all, um, but some mushrooms can be cultivated in home, and it's just a real fun, simple thing to do, uh, much like having... A, a house plant <laughs> growing in, in your house. I have uh, mushrooms growing on blocks. And these are edible? Yeah. They're edible. And, and so what inspires you? Is it the different tastes of the different mushrooms or the fun of growing them? How many different ones do you grow? Uh, both. Um, uh, the lion's mane and oysters are two of the simple, easy peasy. Anybody can grow them. But the lion's mane is just quite beautiful and unique in its shape and structure, yeah. um, as you can see in that. So I, I really just grew it for fun. Also, it is very good for you. And it's it's uh, fun to cook up because it has a texture just like crab meat. Oh. Um, so instead of like cutting it, I'll just peel it apart like chunks and it comes out chunky like crab meat. And then I can make like fake mushroom crab cakes. Oh, cool. That sounds really good. And then the other one that you mentioned was the um, the oysters. Yeah, oyster mushrooms are also super common, easy. There's a couple, there's a yellow, a pink, and a and a gray one that you can grow in your home on one of those blocks. They're easy to find. You can get them, you know, uh, online or a lot of bigger cities are getting these cool like mushroom grow shops um, where you can buy the equipment to buy these edible mushrooms and oysters. I mean, that's a great substitute if you're like a vegetarian and you want kind of a a meaty, chunky thing in your meal. Yeah, both the oyster and the um, lion's mane can can be quite substantial and chewy. Once you get started with your growing, you know, strategy, how long does it, is it self perpetuating? Can you uh, propagate from your original acquisition, or how, how does that even work? Yeah, those grow blocks can often produce more than one flush of fruit. So I had already harvested one big uh, lion's mane off of that block. And then I cut that off and then I put the block actually outside in my shade garden. And forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. I was on vacation for two and a half weeks. I had the, the garden bed was on a uh, irrigation timer. And so it was in the shade and getting wet. And when I came home from, from vacation, there was a whole new fruiting body on the, on the block. So it was very exciting. Only in several weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Just in the uh, 17 days. Yeah. Wow, that's very cool. And what are your favorite ones that you like to find in the wild that you don't cultivate? Mm -hmm. Well, I just went out uh, Saturday and had a massively successful day finding a porcini and chanterelles, um, which was uh, the best haul that I've had of chanterelles probably in my whole foraging career. So wow. um, that's pretty exciting. I'd have to say the most magical one to find is that lion's mane or the hericium because it's not as common and uh, it, it's oddly shaped. And so it really kind of takes your breath away. I've only been lucky enough to find a really good specimen once. I found a couple of small ones, but it really just stops you in your tracks and, and takes your breath away. And you just think, oh man, this magical thing grew. Like in just a few days, this thing grew to this beautiful mushroom. And if I hadn't found it, it might never have been found and it would have just lived its life cycle on its own. But now I get to enjoy it and eat it. <laughs> That's so cool. And um, you're married or you have a partner. I know. Does, does he like mushrooms too? 
Yeah, my partner Dan uh, has been really exciting. Um, in the beginning, when I was just like interested in any finding any old mushroom, he was like, "That's a cool hobby." And then as soon as I switched to finding edible ones, he loves to cook, and he was like, "I'm in." <laughs> um, and, and so now we go off together. We've got you know our teamwork where. I stop and just look at every little thing that I find fascinating. And he kind of zigzags around and is a little more focused <laughs> on the food. Yeah. Hunter gatherer. And what, what was the learning curve like in terms of um, the important duties of, you know, not poisoning yourself? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, big curve. Uh, but luckily uh, boy, with the help of Instagram, I instantly made a ton of local friends, like true dear friends that are also foragers. And boy, it was like a, a hose just of information, you know, uh, being turned on me. There's just so many people out here that have a lot of local good knowledge that they're willing to share. Um, and also books, you know, there's loads of great identification books. I joined the Oregon Mycological Society, um, and now I run their social media page. Because you just kind of get hook, hook, line, and sinker once you meet these cool mushroom people. You're like, yes, these are great people. These are, these are my people. These are my people. And they want to share their knowledge. And I'm here for it. That's fantastic. Well, let's get back to your garden. What kind of, what's your plot like? How big, shady, sunny, what, you know, hilly, what, what do, where do you garden? Yeah, so I have, uh, sadly, but kind of perfect, uh, a little urban plot. I'm right in the city of Portland and I uh, in a duplex, and I just have this uh, little side yard, and it is north-facing. <laughs> so it is mostly shady, uh, taken up by this big run of, of course, obnoxious arborvita that uh, sit up next to the building next to us. But a couple of years ago, I decided, you know what? I'm sick of looking at these ratty arborvita and I limbed them up about six feet. Oh. And it's really beautiful. Yeah, so behind him is this the building next to us, which has a, a nice red wall. So it's kind of a fun backdrop. And then now I just have these quite attractive stems of the arborvita. Um, that I'm looking at and a little space to plant underneath them. And then I have one precious sunny spot um, and that's where the vegetables go. And then okay. in the back corner is uh, nothing but shade. And so that's my, my shade corner back there. <laughs> okay. All right. And so it's funny. Some people uh, would say, Oh, I only have this one tiny little precious, you know, sunny spot. I will now grow a peony or I don't know what, I would not grow vegetables. I think that's what farmer's markets are for. So <laughs> so I'm impressed that you do. What are your favorite vegetables to grow? Um, well, it's kind of, uh, I've really had to work with the space um, because it's not full, full sun. So I realized I like to cram in some shishito peppers because mm. they're small and they don't take long, like no, no bell peppers. We're not doing bell peppers in this yard. It's fruitless. So uh, little <laughs> peppers like shishitos, and I can put them in closer than, of course, the little tag says. I tuck mine like six inches apart. And so I've got five or six of those out there. And then um, I love to grow Mexican sour gherkins Ooh. or the cucamelons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have heard of those. Yeah. Well, uh, they're adorable, first off. <laughs> um, and they grow well in my space. And they don't get powdery mildew or anything like other cucumbers do. And mm -hmm. they produce tons of those tiny little adorable cucumelons um, that I like to quick pickle. 
Um, and then this year I actually grew some tomatoes because a local gal who just got into the habit of propagating tomatoes one year and now propagates like hundreds of tomatoes. Um, she gave me three tomato plants um, that I grew uh, with actually really good success considering how little sun I get. Um, and one of them that she gifted me was called the mushroom basket. Boy, it's a stunner. It's a, a real, a real big beefy tomato, uh, which my boyfriend enjoys because sadly I don't like tomatoes. <laughs> oh, but you're so cute to grow them for him. The mushroom <laughs> basket. I'm writing this down. I got to go take a look at it later. The mushroom <laughs> basket tomato. Wow. That's very cool. Um, yeah. and so ornamentally, what is your style? Are you cottagey? Are you organized? Are you, I just want each individual plant. I like this, 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 what, what, what are, what kind of style do you have there? Yeah, I think it's a little chaos. My style is a little <laughs> chaos. Yeah. My back shade garden is pretty cottagey. A lot of hostas, um, a little Japanese maple tucked in there, ferns. I love ferns and, uh, a lot. So I have several varieties of ferns. Um, but then I have this string of container plants that go along this row of limbed up arborvita because, you know, I didn't want to fight the with the watering underneath those arborvitas. So I have a bunch of containers and that's like agave. I have a bunch of agave and then a, a pine, a chief Joseph pine. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, so it's a little hodgepodge. And then up front is the, uh, where the sun is. I have my little random vegetable garden, but then there's a, a wee corner of that that is also shady. So it slips from vegetable into shade perennial. <laughs> Just willy-nilly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really fast. Yeah. I th I would have thought that agave wouldn't um, prosper as well under a tree. You know, that just don't they like to bake in the sun? I grow them. I bake them in the sun. Maybe I have choices. What, what, how do yours do in the shade? This is in a weird spot where because I've got them containerized and shoved up against the arborvita, they do get some sun on them. Okay. But it was, yeah, more about I didn't want to put them in the ground because of the competing root system. Um, but but where they are just crammed in that side, they do get, that's the one strip of sun. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Um, talk to me about your views on a um, couple different things that are always hot topics for, for gardeners. Let's go first with sustainability. What do you like? What do you do? What do you recommend? How important is it? Uh, every year it becomes more important uh, to me, sustainability in a garden the more I work with other people's gardens and, you know, I have the clients who want the, the fall cleanup, just cut everything back, break it all up and take it out and, and I'll see you next spring. Um, and I am pulling away from that. Um, that to me is not sustainable, even though I live in a city and I know I cannot keep every single leaf that falls uh, from the giant big leaf maples that were inappropriately planted in the small space. Uh, <laughs> but I keep as many of them as I can. I mulch every pot that I have. I mulch every part of the garden with as many leaves as I can cram in there. Do you chop them up first or just go whole leaf? I just go whole leaf. Yeah, I really don't have, I haven't had much problem with that yet. Um, I do then in the spring, I have to remove some. I can't keep them all in there and churn it in. So I still in the spring end up kind of removing some, but at least they're broken down at that point and they've, they've been able to kind of do their job. I definitely keep as many as I can in there. I fight the landlord with it. He wants to come through and, and blow the space out every spring. And I say, not there, not there. Leave, leave, leave me that. 
Um, and then more and more, I'm really getting into more native planting. I got really into birds, like over COVID lockdown, I put a couple of bird feeders out there and, you know, hooked. You're like, oh, well, that's adorable. And then, of course, the rats discover the, the bird feeder. So it's like, well, how can I feed the birds without feeding the rats? Well, native plants that would attract birds. Um, so I'm really slipping more. My gardening style is slipping way more into like native, sustainable, thoughtful, thoughtful planting. Exactly. Very, very good word. I like that word thoughtful. And some people would say that the word sustainable is not enough, that regenerative is is the way to go. And sounds like you're doing that with your leaves, you, you know, regenerating the soil and that sort of thing. Um, it's funny, I was just talking with my sister who lives up in Old Town, Alexandria, so six miles outside of Washington's and, you know, gosh, two miles from National Airport. Oh, no, they call that Ronald Reagan Airport. I'm dating myself. Anyway, <laughs> she doesn't want to feed the birds for the same reason. She doesn't want to feed the rats. And so when you made that switch to just growing the plants that would feed them, um, did you give up on the bird seed completely? I have. I have for now. Um, it definitely is going to take you know, a few seasons before I'm going to see the, like the amount of finch that I was having on that bird feeder. Right. It was like a party every day, of course. But then, you know, when you see a couple rats come through at a time, you're like, maybe we're good here. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, and she happened to be here. So, you know, I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I just moved from a big garden. You probably wouldn't have seen a bear but you had foxes and deer. I had a huge deer fence and hawks and snakes and all the good things. Um, so I moved to this little HOA where all is under control, right? There was a bear like two doors down yesterday. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and not a baby. Well, which is good. I suppose you never want to meet up with a baby bear because where's mama? Um, yeah. But we didn't see it, but three different neighbors saw it. And a friend of mine who lives less than a mile away had, I'm hoping, the same bear, unless we had a community of bears come through, uh, standing up at her bird feeder. And so she feeds the birds over the summer. And it's not rats. It's a bear. So pick your poison, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so so that's great. I, I think there are ways to really be kind to the earth as you are gardening. What's your view on for instance, if you have a, a plant that you want to get rid of and it won't be dug up or, you know, a weed that you're trying to control, um, any chemicals in your gardening life? No, I, I am a chemical free. Um, I have used uh, vinegar where clients have uh, one of my clients has a big concrete space that's uh, very decorative and she gets little weeds in there. And I use vinegar in that space. But I am a, just a hands on pull it out kind of weeder because I figure like my theory is if you're using like for instance the the roundup I just was watching somebody use the other day walking from weed to weed and spraying it with this chemical and I thought why don't you just walk from weed to weed and pick it out with your garden tool and it's gone gone like now you have yeah. chemicals in the air you have to watch this dead weed wither away and then yeah. you're looking at it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I am just a, a put on my knee pads and I have my hoary hoary tool and I just go to town. <laughs> yeah. You know what we came to on some of the hardscape situations and I ended up doing it at the house that I moved out of. I used a, a strimmer, a string trimmer to get weeds in patios. 
and just you know just to quickly we would use them to edge lawns we we my business was um similar to yours only i did have a crew but no mowing no blowing just um we yeah. but we did have a little tiny blower it was like a an electric broom basically and a string trimmer to neaten the edge of a lawn because we were all about the tidy for this business and then i'm like wait we can we can beat up that weed and yeah. not use any chemicals and not even bend over hello yes yes, yes even better Oh, well, that's what I'm using on her patio this spring, then I'm using the weed whacker instead. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, it's very effectual. And if you have one of those battery powered ones, it's far, it's fairly quiet and it's quick. So I recommend when you go to express your views of sustainability toward clients who would be less aware or interested in them, how does that conversation go? And have you ever had to part company with somebody who said, or, or would you part company with somebody who really had different views from yours? Usually my clients, I feel like we kind of see eye to eye. I did like recently have a conversation with a client who wanted to change a big field she had. And, you know, and she said, well, they've recommended I could put plastic over to go chemical free, just put plastic over this field to kill it off for a couple of years. And, and, and that whole process. And I said, yeah, yeah, that, that is a, a whole process. But then I explained, but you're also, like that's two years worth of rainwater that's not getting soaked in and you live uphill from this house. And I'm, I'm not an expert, but I feel like the water is just probably going to rush off that big giant field of yours if it's covered in plastic right into their basement. So let's talk about maybe just replanting this in a more sustainable way than just kill it off and replant it. Uh, she was super open to that. And I really like that. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. It's so funny. I, when I do, um, when I speak to groups, I go to, you know, have speaking engagements and my, the name of my generic talk is thoughtful gardening. And it's ironic that we were talking about your great grandmother and great aunt um, and my neighbor who were older people who really knew what they were doing. There are some people, um, a la the people who didn't know you tip the pot over to get the plant out. There are some people who really don't know, and they would love to be kinder to the earth, but they just don't know how to go about doing it. And I show a slide in this talk of a jungly, not very attractive house with which has graffiti on it. And it's covered with plants, a couple of big trees, and it's it's basically a, a wreck. Um, it's it's a dog's breakfast. And then I show a very modern, clean looking house with just lawn and maybe a tree at the corner. And I talk about how I would have wanted in my earlier garden days to start with the clean slate place. Mm -hmm. Besides, it probably had a nicer kitchen um, and no graffiti. <laughs> but now, as an old lady um, and somebody who's a little bit more aware, I would rather start with everything and edit to get what I want. What about you? Yeah, no, I love that. I love that idea, too. I think that's that's so much better to just have already have some bones, have something to work with. And, and you can, you know, see what works, what is working, watch it for at least one season, Yes, you know, and be like, okay, I see this is a really hot spot. This is a really shady spot, you know, whatever the case may be and, and edit from there. Right. Yeah. I think people want to know, it's just not, you know, like we don't teach home ec anymore. We're certainly not teaching gardening. Uh, people just have no idea. And I think they want to know, you know, <laughs> a lot of people do and millions more did during COVID. I hope that's, I hope that some of that is sort of sticking around. I look at the demographics of this podcast and um, 
we aren't spring chickens. Not not me and not my listeners. Only you. You're you're the only spring chicken listener. <laughs> but but it's um it can be a young man's game to learn. It's just that, you know, those people are generally busy just trying to make a living or raise kids. I look at my own children. Um, one of them is an avid gardener. The other one would want to be, but Lord, he has four children and the oldest one isn't even six yet. How do you, I mean, what's your bandwidth, right? Yeah. I realized uh, when I worked at the nursery, extremely pregnant women uh, and families love to go plant shopping. And I, I would always <laughs> just be like, you have a whole human you're about to take care of. And you think you're going to take care of this cart full of four inch veggie starts? <laughs> Absolutely oh not. <laughs> no way. Those things, those things are done for. Yeah. <laughs> You'll stick them in the ground and they're toast next week. Yeah. Especially if you're not into it. Like if right. I love, I mean, my boyfriend and I both like, we'll go work in the garden. Then we just sit and stare at it, you know, for, yeah. for hours. If you're not into that, I, I like to say there's two different kinds of people out there. There's the people who call it gardening and the people who call it yard work. Yes. And that says a lot. Yeah. You know, if you're, oh, I love to garden or oh, it's just yard work, you know, it's, it's there's yeah. two different people there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And it's funny that, you know, both of you do like it. I have the advantage or disadvantage, depending on how you look at it, to have a complete, well, not completely disinterested. He cheers for me and he looks and he sees and he helps me lift heavy objects sometimes. But in a way, especially with this new small space that I've moved into, like, isn't it kind of hard to referee who does what and who gets to put what plant where? Very tricky. Very tricky. I is he within hearing distance, by the way? Is he is he going to listen to this? <laughs> he is. He's over there. But, you know, this year especially worked out great. So I've always said, let me use the shade spaces because I love shade plants. I love a fern. Um, and then he's always uh, had, you know, you get the sunny spot because he is a vegetable grower. That's his whole love to grow a vegetable. Um, but this Perfect. year we made a new friend who lives nearby and has this big double lot that is like she could not be less of an outdoor person. And she has this beautiful big double lot that was just sitting there waiting to be used. And uh, we call it now it's Dan's Adopted Garden. And Yay. I mean, cucumbers, zucchini, beans, peppers, tomato, 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 artichoke. There's all the things. And in just, you know, a matter of weeks, he was like, blammo. So now uh, I get the little batch of sun we have in our yard. And he's got that whole yard. And, and, it, and it, it really helped out. <laughs> and you have garden stories to compare when he comes home. From yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Something to talk about. So let's talk for a moment about native plants because, you know, there are so many different views on this. Some people are so like it has to be native or it's no good. Mm -hmm. Mine is more middle of the road. I, you know, I think the native plants are very valuable. And with a certain uh, number of plants, I would always go native, but I'm a sucker for those hostas and Japanese maples and blah, blah, blah. Where do you stand? How do you feel? I'm also in the middle too, because your garden is, is a lot of times for people, it's your happy space. And it's your space. And like Julia Child, I love a big fan of Julia Child. And she would always say, you're in the kitchen. You do what you want. It's your kitchen. If you just patch that thing up, if you ruin your omelet, you fix it up and, and it's fine. And I feel the same way in my garden. It's it's my space. And I, I want to be a good steward to the land 100%. Um, I also know that I alone in my tiny urban garden and not going to save all of the pollinators. I can't do it. Um, so I will have things in there that just bring me joy, 
just simply because they bring me joy. And then sure, yeah, I've got stuff for the finch and some stuff for my native bumblebees um, and, and thoughtful things out there. But I also am not going to shame you for having, you know, a hosta or, or something funky in your yard because it brings you joy and that's okay. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. But, you know, the natives are very important and I'm a kind of a disciple of Doug Tallamy. Are you familiar with his work? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just the idea that, you know, because of what you're doing, and because of what I'm doing, well, I'm not doing anything yet. I just got here. <laughs> I found the coffee and my underwear in that order, the important things when you move, right. you know, um, but I will be planting some natives and I will be um, very much encouraging uh, pollinators to come to my garden. It'll take a little while. But if we all did that, if every gardener did that, then there would be that pathway where they could go from my yard to your yard. Well, no, you live in Portland, but still, you see what I yeah. mean? There might be a highway to get from my yard to your yard if enough people pitched in. So, you know, even if it's small, we can do something, right? Absolutely. Just a little oasis is all they need, um, especially here in the city. So I definitely, I do, I really talk to my clients and my friends and my neighbors, if I can, you know, about, you know, don't get rid of every single leaf you have in the fall and don't cut back every single plant, you know, like let things be, let things live. Yes. Get, get a few native plants, even if it's just one or two throw a couple of native plants out in your yard um, to make your your space just a, even a tiny hopping point oasis for those little pollinators that are just kind of working their way through again you know i look around in the city and i just think you know i i recycle all the things i try not to use too much water you know all the things i'm very conscious but i also know that like then there's the giant office building that has all sorts of garbage coming out of it or cruise lines polluting you know it's just okay, I, I can do what I can. <laughs> yeah, but we can't do it all. And it, and it can be disheartening to look around. And when you move, which is, you know, what I just did, it's, you find that you're tossing things willy nilly that you generally in real life when you're not in a kind of a, you know, frenzy. I would never have thrown that away, but I had to throw that away because it yeah. had to go. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. yeah. I am going to put you on the spot. Let's see how you do. And by the way, I can edit this out if you have to really scratch your head. What are some of the favorite or most popular? Because you can see your reactions, and I know you interact with your um, with the people who follow you on Instagram. But what are some of the most interesting or out there or evocative um, Instagram posts that you've put out there? Can you think of one or two? Oh gosh, um, I recently went crazy viral on the TikToks for um, talking about bamboo. <laughs> oh, what'd you say? I was saying. Uh, I think I started it off with, I know you don't want to see your neighbor, but bamboo is not the answer. Uh, and then I woke up the next day and I had, I've never seen the little comment bars be so wide. And I thought, oh, oh no, did I upset somebody? What have I done? And then I thought, oh, I was just talking about plants. So uh, whatever it is, it's going to be, be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily most people were on my side, like, holy cow, invasive, fire hazard, rats, messy, but mostly invasive. Um, and so that was a, a very interesting post that I did not see blowing. Cause I was just literally at a client's yard. They had some bamboo in containers and it was breaking through the concrete containers and pushing up through oh. the patio on their balcony. Concrete. On the like 16th floor downtown. Yeah. 
Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah, so I was just trying to be like, even if you get clumping bamboo, it can still be a hassle. And so that was a very uh, exciting post. Luckily, most people were <laughs> with me on that. Yeah, but a hot button issue. The people who were again, yeah, against you, what, what, what possible, uh, did they make any you sense? You know, it was just a couple people that were throwing out, but the clumping bamboo, but the clumping bamboo. And they were, you know, and hey, if you've had a good experience with, with clumping bamboo, but then the thing is, is it was only like true, passionate, hardcore gardeners that were understanding. Everybody else was like, nope, nope, nope. Bamboo is horrible. Get it out, get it out. And there was just a couple of diehard gardeners that, I can only assume like if you're in your garden 24 seven, sure, you might be able to maintain your little clumping bamboo, but 99% of the people who buy bamboo are just because they want an easy fix to, so they don't see their neighbor and then it's a huge mess. Yeah. Oh, it's so terrible. And by the way, I don't think I'm going to sleep well tonight because I let the garden that I just left, uh, there was a clumping bamboo yeah, that I planted. <laughs> Uh, do I need to go back and check on it so I won't go to hell? Yeah, you know, that's their problem now. <laughs> I guess so. I tell you, I planted that thing. It was a three-gallon pot. And for, I don't know, I feel like I planted it six or seven years ago. And every year I would say, dude, you're supposed to be uh, showing me a little bit more love here. I mean, it was very slow to take. And now it became, you know, sort of four feet around. But, well, fingers crossed. It's okay and I won't go to hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe you got lucky and it is actually a good, good, true clumper that uh, that won't get away from you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, the next people. So tell us more about how people can find you. So you're Quick and Dirty Gardens uh, on both Instagram and TikTok, but you have a website. You have an, a store on your website. And do you do YouTube? No, no. YouTube. I do. Actually, yes, I do have a YouTube. Um, oh. and it's also Quick and Dirty oh. Gardens. Uh, my website also quick and dirty gardens and yeah i <laughs> i'm also a crafter so i do love to craft things um and so i occasionally sell um in the fall and winter i sell these um scarves i like to call them a narf it's a neck scarf okay a narf just a cozy little scarf that uh, that i came up with that's kind of my perfect scarf for foraging uh stays out of my way keeps me warm so i sell those in the fall and i always try to find like really cute mushroom fabric Aww. is my thing to have cute kind of mushroom related fabric for that. And then uh, I'm trying to get better at doing like blog posts on my website, but really that's what my Instagram is for. Yeah. You're informing people. Yeah. I'm not a writer. I'm a speaker. Uh, I'm a shower, you know, so it's easier for me to just make a quick video. And I do need to, I scold myself all the time. I do need to just be throwing videos up on YouTube more just for the sake of it being out there. I have one random uh, video on YouTube that still gets constant views and it's just how to apply Azimax to your houseplants. What is Azimax? Oh, it, it's a pesticide for houseplants, for uh, thrips and houseplant pests. And I was using it one time and I thought, it took me a while to go through the the directions and figure it all out. And I thought, you know what, let me just make a quick video because it's easier than it seems to be. And uh, so I made a quick video on YouTube and now that that's just one of those random videos out there that I just get views on every day randomly. Well, I hope you and all your familial descendants get royalties forever on that. Yeah, I wish, I wish. I don't see a dime from it, but, uh, <laughs> oh, but I oh, do well. love uh, sharing sharing my knowledge. So I'd like to get better at uh, yeah. really purposely putting out 
or videos. Yeah. Well, you're you're a natural teacher, and I, I really enjoy watching you. And so, quickanddirtygardens.com is the name of the website. That's it. Is that correct? Yeah. And then, of course, that's where you find um, Tiffany on TikTok and Instagram. All right. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much. I encourage everybody to go watch her, and there will be links in the show notes. Well, let's just say I hope there will be links in the show notes by the time this podcast drops. I hope I have my act together enough to actually write a blog post because I've been a little remiss as of late. But that's what that's what moving does to you. So anyway, Tiffany, so fun to talk with you. Thank you for the chat. Oh, it was really a joy. I love talking about gardening. So I had a great time. Uh, it was great. Okay. We'll be right back and we'll be talking about what to do in your garden this week. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tiffany Garner, the quick and dirty gardener. She's very fun to follow on social media, so I hope you do. Here are some odds and ends that have come across my shortish attention span in the last couple of weeks having to do with gardening. Number one, last episode in my conversation with Kathy Jentz about ground covers, we mentioned the horrible ground cover called Hutonia cordata. We talked about how terribly invasive it is, difficult to pull. And I also mentioned that I had planted it within six foot concrete walls. No, no, th there is no torpedo factory remnant in my old garden. I meant to say six inch walls. But I got the attention of Franda and gardener Liz Hayes, whose garden I've seen, and she has the worst infestation of this particular plant, the Hutonia, that I've ever clapped my eyes on. And she wrote to point out two things, one of which I was aware, but I had safely subverted it out of my conscious memory. And that is the really yucky, not good smell of this plant or the roots of Hutonia as you try to pull it up. So unpleasant. And I'm sorry for her because she has a job in front of her. But then the other thing she told me is that after she visited my garden this summer and then she went to a nursery fairly near me, she saw it on sale. She saw Hutonia cordata, the chameleon plant, on sale. Mm. If you're a new gardener and you see a cool looking eight inch or so variegated ground cover that they call chameleon plant, and the botanical name is again, Hutonia, H-O-U-T-T, etc. Hutonia cordata, do not, do not buy it. You don't buy it, but you do have a choice of either backing away slowly or turning around and running. It's a bad plant. Thing number two, in the last episode, in mentioning some timely seasonal tips, I selfishly didn't even include the simple one of division of perennials. I think that's because all of the perennials in my little garden, well, if they were to be divided again, they would become so microscopic as to not be plants at all. But those of you with healthy chunks, it's a great time still to do this. As you're hearing this, if it's new out in early November, the weather for us, for a lot of the country, has only recently turned cold. And so the soil is still warm. And in almost all cases, when you divide a perennial, you can use a shovel or you can saw it in half or sometimes they sort of break apart. You don't really need to keep the foliage on your division. What you really need to take care of is healthy chunks of root. Try to be more organized than I am and mark what you've done. Take a picture or mark it with popsicle sticks or something. Or you can do as I do and leave it as a total surprise for the next spring. Either way, you're enjoying your garden and either that organized controlling sense or via that feeling of always having something to look forward to because you're never really sure what's going to happen. Next thing, I get this publication called Grower Talks because I guess I'm still quasi-connected to the green industry. I must have signed up for it at some stage. I was actually in the green industry with my gardening biz. That's probably how it started. 
My temptation upon receiving this hefty quarterly tome is to recycle it immediately, but then I make myself flip through it just in case there's something I need to know, something new to the industry. Usually, I swear, it's the umpteenth bloody new type of petunia, but in this case, I saw that some clever person had designed a better way to carry plants around nurseries. You know, if you buy a tray of plants, you get all those plastic pots, and then there's that plastic tray that comes with it. It's a lot of plastic. Well, somebody just said, that's silly, and they made something smaller that connects the tops of the pots together with far less plastic. It's very similar to the way a six-pack of beer is connected, only with even less plastic because there are holes for the plants. Keep an eye out for this new system, hopefully in nursery soon. Why am I telling you this? Well, it makes me happy when somebody smarter than I figures out a more efficient system than the one that exists, so I thought I'd share that happiness with you, dear listener. Okay, next thing in the episode before last, I told you that I would tell you if I missed my big garden that I left, mm, gosh, two months ago now, And in episode 107, I did talk about it, going back there and how cathartic that was. But just a little bit of follow-up on that. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to miss at other types of year, but what I missed now, this fall, particularly, were asters and hydrangeas. I did end up getting some asters, and I couldn't find the smaller one that I had mentioned in the last episode. I think I was going to hunt for October skies. But instead, I did end up getting Radon's favorite, which is a bit of a sprawler, but really pretty similar, and you can always pre-prune it. As soon as I got those two pots out of my car and put them on my front porch, the flowers were covered with pollinators, like they knew when I was coming home. As for their hydrangeas, well, I can't live without them. At this time of year, I cut those dried heads and I make arrangements and I just love them. So now, now I have 18 three-gallon pots waiting for me to plant in the next week or two. Let me tell you what I got. I mean, this garden is so tiny. You're like, where is she going to put these? But two of them are actually going to fit into a front sunny spot where there's nothing but a tree. And I think I can fit two of them in there, maybe just one. I might have to think about the other one. Both of those are limelight prime, which is apparently an improvement and an earlier flower than limelight, which is a hydrangea that I love. Then there are 16 plants for the back along the top of that five-foot retaining wall where grass grows for some completely mysterious reason. I mean, this is an HOA and we didn't bring our lawnmower. So literally a guy gets up there and swings his strimmer, you know, his string trimmer around for two minutes once a week to cut grass that no one can see unless they stand on tippy toe near the wall and no one walks on except for him. Makes perfect sense, right? Once again, the rules of my HOA say that I do not need permission to add plants to an existing bed. Well, behind the top of this retaining wall, is this ridiculous 20-inch deep path of grass, and behind that are tall and taller shrubs reaching right up a hillside. So I, in my little pea brain, I'm just adding shrubs to a shrub garden. I'm within the rules, and it's the only sensible thing to do. And that guy from the mow and blow team will never have to go up there and do that again. And then in terms of scrambling up the wall to maintain that area, well, that's going to be me. And that's going to be whenever I want to cut some hydrangea blooms and prune it once a year. So once a year. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So the top of that wall will be lined with the tulip and thalia bulbs that I just succumbed to. Thank you, color blends. And the following four types of arborescence hydrangeas, which, by the way, bonus, are native. Arborescence hydrangeas are native to the eastern United States. All of these four types get to be about four feet tall and wide. And I chose 
the Invincible Blush, which is pink, lightish pink, the Invincible Lace, which is a kind of a purpley bit. You know, lace cap have those parts that don't open. The parts that open are very light pink and the ones that sort of look like they could are kind of a purple. It's a, it's a very pretty look. Then the Limetta, which is a lime green, and the Incredible, which is white, white, white. And I'm so excited. I'm just going to line them up in some sort of random pattern and watch the fun next summer. Hey, remember what I mentioned last episode? Tis the season for free mulch, so let those leaves cover up your garden beds and try not to chop down too many perennials, unless they're bugging you, in which case chop away because, hey, you know what? It's your garden and you should like the way it looks. But the more you can leave, the better it is for the environment. So see what you can handle, aesthetically speaking. I had a great question from Rebecca Hunter of Nashville, Tennessee this week, and it was, how exactly do I contribute to your podcast? You mentioned something about buying a cup of coffee, but I don't really understand. Rebecca, thank you so much for making me realize that it wasn't clear. So on my website, which is lhgardens.com, there's a blog. And in each blog post, even if I've written a really lame short blog post, there's a photograph of a cup of coffee and there's a link. And if you were to click on that link, You could contribute a little or a lot, if you're so inclined, to help me support the podcast, and I would very much appreciate it. Another way to get on my good side, which is I'm sure what everybody has on their to-do list, is to leave me an Apple review, and this was from NM Gardens. She said, or he said, I look forward to each episode, and I find myself smiling the whole way through. Very informative, yet entertaining. Great for novice gardeners and seasoned alike. Well done. Thank you, NM Garden. I do appreciate you taking the time to share that with me and other potential listeners. Okay, so I hope you get out there and play in your garden. But the other reason this section is called the playlist is because sometimes I get organized enough to tell you to go listen to something. And this week, it's a recent episode of Margaret Roach's podcast, which is called A Way to Garden. The episode is worth listening to, the entire thing, even though I wish the editing were a little stronger. No, did I say that? Clearly, I need more editing also. The guest was Todd Bittner of Cornell University. And as Margaret and her guests often do, they had collaborated on an article in the New York Times, which preceded the podcast. It was probably called something like the podcast title, Cornell's Take on Native Lawns. They weren't too surprised, but they made a note of the fact that their article had gotten a really strong reaction from people. It wasn't a lose the lawn type of article. It was a hey, can't we do better than turf grass type of article? And of course, there's always that thought, are you really using all of your lawn? It's actually good for all of us to think about how big our lawns need to be and how big they maybe used to need to be. And are those people still kicking a ball? Anyway, the readers who reacted negatively to the article didn't like the suggestion of using natives instead of turf grass for the following three reasons. One, they didn't understand how to maintain these native plants that are going to grow taller than the four inches that their mower allows. Two, the look of a mixed native plant lawn is simply not as uniform and conventional as turf grass, and therefore might not be allowed in their HOA. Pretty sure it wouldn't be allowed in mine. And the third is ticks, which like longer grass or longer plants. But believe it or not, Todd and Margaret had decent answers for all three of these complaints, and there was lots more information on top of that. So give it a listen. It's A Way to Garden, the episode from October 21st, and it's called Cornell's Take on Native Lawns. It's definitely worth the 30 minutes to gain some good information. Okay, I think that's enough blathering from me this time. I'd like to thank Color Blends Bulb for sponsoring the episode. Although they don't have too many tulip bulbs left, they have plenty more. 
bulb bulb. So have a look at colorblends.com. I snuck in an order and I hope you do too. Oh, one more seasonal tip that I've just done in my brand new little house. It's amazing what a bottle of Windex and removing a screen does for your window view. If it's getting too cool for you to be outside all the time, at least make it more fun to look outside. I hope you get into your garden either physically or visually, and I will be back in a couple of weeks. 